Good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of Cozy On Up and NC Cardinal. Each episode is a journey through a cozy mystery theme or author that is available in NC Cardinal. If you've got a cozy mystery topic or question you'd like me to look into in the future, just post it in the comments on our social media or in the episode Q&A on Spotify. Or join our Goodreads book group or Amazon book club to discuss the books online with others. Those links will be posted in the podcast description. We've got two Cozy On Up and NC Cardinal episodes for this month. So the first one today, we're going to be looking at the Edgar Award nominees. There's a few cozy mysteries that are in the list. Next month will be the 76th annual Edgar Awards celebration on April 28th. So now's your chance to go ahead and start reading them and kind of figure out who you think might be the winner before the actual winners are announced. The Edgar Awards are the nominees for the best of the best in mystery fiction, mystery nonfiction, and television, so things like Midsummer Murders, published or produced in 2021. These nominees are announced on January 19th, 2022, which was the celebration of the 213th anniversary of the birth of Edgar Allan Poe, who, of course, these awards are named after. So I'm going to have a list of the nominees uh, posted also in the podcast description in case you'd like to see other categories like the nonfiction and areas to see if there's something else maybe you'd like to test out and read. So we've got a selection here. I'm going to work through. Um, Reese Bowen wrote The Venice Sketchbook. It has been nominated in the Best Novel novel category. This was not a cozy mystery. Um, She does have several major cozy mystery series, but she does standalone historical fiction mysteries as well. And one of her earlier ones has had been nominated as well for an Edgar Award and other awards. And so has this one. It's been a couple years, but she's gotten another one nominated. But I did want to take this kind of as an opportunity to check out her work. Um, Hadn't had a chance yet, but I know it's been popular at the library. So I just kind of used it as an opportunity to look into it. But in the Simon & Schuster Mary Higgins Clark Award category, four of the five are cozy mysteries. Catherine Cowley's The Secret Life of Miss Mary Bennett is the first of three novels. The two others are going to be coming out this year. They're not out yet. She has written no prior cozy mysteries. Her other work appears to have been short stories in edited collections. So bravo to her on her first major series, already getting nominated for this major award. Her book, probably because she is such a debut author, you know, brand new, hasn't even written anything else to kind of get us on the radar in, you know, kind of librarians' and bookstores' minds. Uh, Her book isn't currently available in NC Cardinal, but hopefully it will be soon. Three others we're going to be looking at, the cozy mysteries from that Simon & Schuster award category. Callie Hutton's The Sign of Death, Tracy Gardner's Ruby Red Herring, and Elizabeth Penny's Chapter and Curse. So briefly, kind of going to discuss uh, Reese Bowen's uh, The Venice Sketchbook, because I did look into it, just wanted to try out her work, her writing style, because clearly having been nominated a second time for a major award, wanted to see what all the buzz was about. Um, She's the New York Times bestselling author of more than 40 novels, Uh, Venice Sketchbook nominated for Edgar Award. She's also written some other standalones, The Victory Garden, The Tuscan Child. She does a lot of um, historical kind of fiction mystery with some romance mixed in. Uh, It's an interesting combination, but she does it very well. Um, The standalone World War II-based novel In Farley Field 
was the winner of the Left Coast Crime Award and the Agatha Award for Best Historical Novel. So she's written uh, and won some major, uh, some great standalone books and some won some major awards. She's won over 20 honors to date, uh, including Agatha, Anthony, and McCavity Awards. She's a British transplant, so that's why she's so good at writing about kind of the European continent and British uh, historical fiction. So the book itself, the chronology did kind of shift around some. So if you don't like things that aren't perfectly uh, chronological all the way through, so where you're having flashbacks where you're seeing uh, there's a period set in the 1928 and the 1938 to 40, and then you're seeing that late, that woman's descendants learning about that period as well in their time period, which is 2001. So just right before and after the September 11th attacks. So it's historical in both accounts, but there is a modern day person kind of learning about her family's past. So if you don't kind of like those shifts in time, but the chapters are very clearly time uh, date stamped. So you know exactly the months and days and years that are being discussed each chapter before you even start reading. So it's very clear to follow. It's very well written. It just sucks you right in. It's got all the historical fiction, romance, and mystery that you can want. So it's a really good one to test if you've never gone into historical fiction before, but you love mystery, or if you like romance, and you're not really sure if you'd like historical romance, or if you kind of want mystery, but you don't want it to be heavy or, you know, a lot of murder involved, this would be a good one to, to test if you're wanting to see if you'd actually like the genre. You know, go for the award winners and see if it is to your liking. Uh the Holocaust is mentioned. World War II, of course, is a key element for the older time period. Prison camps, Picasso, great art and artists, exciting European locations. It's all involved. Um, the journey, you know, historical journey is you're figuring out what actually happened in their lives. It's not really guessable, um, but it is very engaging. There is no crime, like a murder you're having to solve, like in a cozy mystery, but it is her standalone historical mysteries. I loved it, so I'm really looking forward to hopefully getting into one of her historical cozy mysteries at some point. She's famous for her Molly Murphy, Royal Spinus, and Evan Evans mystery series. She has three major cozy mystery series. Um, this book and her cozy mysteries are available in NC Cardinal, and they check out rather frequently, and I can see why. She's a great writer. Let's jump in into the cozy mysteries. We've got three. The Sign of Death, published in April of 2021. It's from the USA Today best-selling author Callie Hutton. This is her second Victorian book club mystery. So this is a historical cozy mystery. This is Lady Amy and Lord William sleuthing it through uh, the death of a teetotaler who took a fatal dunk in the drink. This is set in the 1890s in England. So this is going to be a Victorian uh, historical mystery. So basically, in their mind, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Sherlock Holmes are kind of newly released, contemporary, best-selling fiction. Not kind of, in our mind, long past uh, great, you know, starters and uh, proponents of, you know, a genre. But in their mind, it's just, you know, newly released, kind of like in our ideas, James Patterson or something, uh, newly released, best-selling fiction. And that's where Callie clearly gets the title of her book from, because the characters in the book are reading Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's The Sign of Four, and the title of this book is The Sign of Death. So that's where she got that title from. 
There are three books so far in the Victorian Book Club mystery. This is book number two. Her name, though, Callie Hutton, may be familiar to you because she is better known for historical romances. So she has a lot of books available at NC Cardinal that are just going to be historical romance. This is her first and currently only cozy mystery series, and her second book is already nominated. So that is awesome. She's doing great. Readability and plausibility for this book. Um, there's quite a few twists and turns, so she's getting good at writing the red herrings in. You can definitely see her historical romance, um, you know, skills and background uh, influencing it, but it's good. It's not like there is so much romance you're not getting a mystery. The mystery is front and center, but you can see with, you know, her skill at writing the romance and the slow building, you know, to a happily ever after at the end, that's clearly pulling upon her years of experience um, and skill in historical romance. So you can kind of see where she's leaning more towards the romance than some authors, but it's good. Um, I definitely want to pick back up and read book number one in this series to get more on each character to see, you know, where did they start and how this is going. But she did a good job in making you interested in jumping in, even with this being the second book of the series. You learned about the characters, their personalities. You could jump in even though you hadn't read book one. But I definitely it makes me want to read book one to kind of get a little more of a sense of, what these people are like when you first get introduced to them, their first efforts and in forays into solving crimes. Um, so this is this is nice to have. I really I liked this, um, but we got two more to look through. So let's see what we've got here. So Ruby Red Herring was published in June of 2021. We're working our way chronologically down. This is an Avery Ayers antique mystery series novel. This is the first one in that series. This is from Tracy Gardner. This is, uh, if you look kind of like Ellery Adams or Jane Cleland, uh, this is a good fit for those uh, authors. This is an antiques appraiser who hunts for a missing ruby gem while also investigating her parents' deaths that happened a year before. So after her parents' deaths, Avery Ayers has taken over the family business, Antiques and Artifacts Appraised, from the home office in Lilac Grove, and they have a branch in Manhattan. She's now living at, back at home with her younger sister, Tilly, and their newly moved in eccentric Aunt Midge and her Afghan hound. So there's a lot of A's happening here in this story. Avery's life is filled with jewels, tapestries, paintings, and rare finds. So if you like the kind of antique shop, uh, archaeology, uh, collector's subgenre of cozies, this would probably be a good one to jump into. Their world, though, is rocked when Avery learns that the theft of a priceless ruby may be connected to her parents' sudden and tragic deaths the year before. The trouble starts when the Museum of Antiquities, they keep referencing it as the MOA, hires Avery to appraise a rare, resplendent ruby. It bears a striking similarity to a solitary stone in the museum's prized bejeweled dragon medallion exhibit. This is from the Chinese dynasty, and it has been missing one of its ruby eyes. So they're hoping that they found the authentic replace, uh, you know, missing gem to go in that other eye. But Avery and her colleagues, uh, Sir Robert Lane and Micah Abbott, suspect that they may have the missing gem, or is it? Is it a fake replacement? Is someone trying to get this gem now that they've found out that they have it? 
Some things are starting to get a little cloudy and murky. Security guard Art Smith is always underfoot. He doesn't seem like what he appears to be. Is he really a bodyguard? Is he really a security guard? Or is he trying to do other things? Another body turns up connected to this appraisal. Avery starts to receive mysterious notes that put her life in danger. So Avery starts to enlist. Maybe he's an ally. Maybe he isn't. But he is the security guard. So Art Smith's help in getting a list of suspects who may have killed her parents and swiped this jewel and now it has suddenly surfaced again. Was it art collector Oliver Rennell, curator Nate Brennan, acquisitions liaison Francesca Giolatti, uh, actor Tyler Chadwick? Was the crime impersonal or was it someone all too close to Avery's life? If she can't find the culprit, Avery may be the next one to die. So I'll have the link to the Tracy's website so you can see her books. Um, The second book will be published in June of this year. So this is a brand new series. So you'll have plenty of time to jump in and read this before the second one comes out. She also, her background rather interestingly, she is the author of Hallmark Publishing's first cozy mystery series, The Shepherd Sisters. Um, Out of the Picture is the first book that is now a complete trilogy of books about an art authenticator turned elementary art teacher. Her and her sister, Savannah and her sister, solve mysteries in small Lake Michigan town. So if you like Hallmark, uh, you know, drama and mysteries, and their movies and mysteries channel, especially when they have all of their series, and a lot of those are basically, in some senses, a cozy mystery uh, film genre, kind of like Midsummer Murders and Agatha Raisin are on the BBC and, you know, Hercule Poirot and all of the Agatha Christie ones. All those are cozy mysteries. If you like those, Hallmark's now starting to publish um, romances and this is their first cozy mystery series and Tracy wrote it. So you may want to jump in with that. It's a completed trilogy. I haven't read anything by this author before. And I haven't delved into the archaeology, sort of antiques, uh, collectors, you know, yard sailing, subgenre in cozies yet. So I haven't touched either of those aspects. But this book certainly sucked me in. It had excellent writing, plausible crime. Um, you know, of course, money's at stake. Anything can happen. So it was, I can see why she was nominated. So even if it's maybe not your genre or even not your subgenre of cozies, It was good. So congrats to Tracy on getting her first major, you know, standalone uh, series that's not, uh, wasn't under, you know, Hallmark. She got another new publisher to pick her up. So clearly her writing is taking off and she's establishing herself. So congrats to her. Um, Whether I'd read more in this series or maybe even try some of her other uh, earlier published works, I'd love to. Um, this is the first in the series, so got to wait for the next one, but the excitement is building, and maybe we'll get to pick up with these in the future, do a follow-up. The last one we're going to look at is Chapter and Curse by Elizabeth Penny. Now, Elizabeth Penny may sound very familiar to you. Um, she's written a lot for those uh, book club series uh, where they're kind of corporate published, and they get different authors to fill in like 20 and 30 books cozy mystery series. So Annie's Fiction, uh, that's a major uh, book club publishing house. She has written a lot 
for different things like antique shop mysteries and other genres for them. She also has her own solo series that has been picked up called the Apron Shop Mystery Series. It's set in Blueberry Cove, Maine. And this is the Cambridge Bookshop Series set in, of course, Cambridge, England. Um, so this is another one of her standalone series. She's been doing a lot of filling in, you know, writing two and three within a large corporate owned uh, book club series. But this is, she's starting to branch out into her own solo work, her own solo series. So that's exciting to see. And she has honed her skills just like Tracy did. She's honed her skills. So she is getting good at this. So Chapter and Curse introduces us to Molly Kimball. She's used to cracking open books. But when a poetry reading ends in murder, she needs to use her skills to crack open a case. Librarian Molly Kimball and her mother Nina need a change. So when a letter arrives from Nina's Aunt Violet in Cambridge, England, requesting their help to run the family bookshop, it was established in 1605, they jump at the chance. So selling and moving out of Vermont and heading over to England. The bookshop is called the Thomas Marlowe. It's manuscripts and folios, and it's one of the oldest bookshops in Cambridge, England. And unfortunately, the customers can tell. You know, a lot of those older buildings, short ceilings, tiny rooms, a lot of stuff kind of closed off. So they start working on remodeling, expanding, sorting through all the box loads of stuff that Molly's uncle had collected and bought through the years. The Cambridge Literary Festival is underway when they arrive, though, so Molly is determined to bring much-needed revenue to the bookstore by inviting her Aunt Violet's college classmate and famed poet, Persephone Brightwell, to hold a poetry reading in the bookstore. But the event ends in disaster when a guest is found dead. And Molly's great aunt's knitting needle was used as the murder weapon. While trying to clear Violet and keep the struggling bookshop afloat, there's the threat from another relative of possibly selling out to a corporate uh, chain bookstore. Molly sifts through secrets past and present to untangle a web of blackmail, deceit, and murder. So it's not only the murder that is overhanging who's going to get arrested and it, will it be Molly's um, relative. So, of course, that's the usual, one of the usual triggers to kind of pull a cozy mystery character into solving mysteries. You know, someone close and near and dear to them is being threatened. But there's other issues they're having to deal with the bookstore, separate from the murder, but sort of related because they're all living and working with the bookstore. So... You've got a couple of different strands to work through, so lots of engaging, you know, who's doing what, solving mysteries, threats to figure out. So, of course, the bookstore in England setting tipped it over for me and made this the best of the set in my mind. And it was a great read. There's lots of suspects and local characters that were introduced quickly and early on in the book. And it's very clever how she did that. I mean, you've got two Americans that are having to move to England. So in their mind, and you as a reader following them along, you have all of these new people, and you have no idea, and neither do the two you're following, the mother and daughter, like none of their background. You have no impressions, longstanding you know, relationships with them. You have no idea what to think of them. So it's having to learn about everyone and their personality and their motives right along with your two book characters. So that was a brilliant way 
of kind of turning the usual trope of it's a small town. We still got that going on, Cambridge. But instead of, you know, these people had lived there for 20, 30 years and suddenly finding murderers right and left, now you're in a highly, you know, there's a lot of visitors, there's the colleges, so there's a lot of people moving in and out all the time. And, but it's still this kind of small town feel. It's not like we're in London. So you've got this small town, but lots of future opportunity by having set it in Cambridge. And then you've got your Americans set in England, so it's all new to them. They get to learn it right along with the readers. So I thought it was a nice, clever twist on the usual trope. So it kind of makes sense why you suddenly would start having murders in a smaller town. And then also having to suddenly figure out what is happening. And the crime is certainly plausible. Uh, of course, when there's ever money or power or fame or blackmail involved, humans can become desperate. So it's certainly plausible. And there's enough of a twist steering the confession to turn the kind of cozy mystery genre formula on its head again. So she's clearly, with her honing her skills and her prior writing, she's figured out lots of ways to do things. So Elizabeth's getting really good at this. In addition, you have the discovery of missing and buried valuable texts and manuscripts as they start working through this bookstore. So there's, if you're familiar with different kinds of books and literature, everything from Winnie the Pooh on up, you're going to suddenly see them mentioned as they open boxes and find items that might be valuable for them to sell so that they can help save the bookstore. So it's kind of a hoarder bookstore because Molly's uncle bought a lot of stuff, but that once again planting seeds. Elizabeth's planting those seeds to get ready to have a lot of stuff and exciting things that could happen in the future. Like, who knows? Maybe the next crime will be someone trying to rob the bookstore or someone claiming that there's a fake manuscript or something. Who knows? There's lots of possibilities she's fed in here between the colleges and moving to England and having this hoarder bookstore. Who knows what they'll find? And it's built in 1605, so who knows what mysteries the actual building may hold. So lots of possibilities. I can't wait to read more in this series. I'll have her author website posted in the podcast description. Um, so looking at these four, it's a bit of a different outcome than I expected. Um, I knew Reese Bowen, her work, and her name, but I hadn't read it yet. So I wasn't sure what to expect there, and I was very pleasantly surprised to wind up loving it. Um, so even though it's not a cozy and it's out of the running for kind of who do you think the winner might be for the cozy mystery category, it certainly was worth reading. So I'd have a hard time deciding if it was a cozy mystery. But my ranking on who I think might win the Simon & Schuster Mary Higgins Clark Award, if it was up to me, first place would be Chapter and Curse, runner-up would be Ruby Red Herring, and Sign of Death would be number three. So who do you think the winner of the Edgar Award will be? We have a poll on Spotify. And then there's also a Q&A there saying, what do you think of these books if you've read them? Or maybe you got to read Catherine Cowley's book, or you've read some of the other Edgar Award nominees. And if you have, I'd love to hear what you think about them and some of those other books I didn't have a chance to read. So look forward to talking to you again in a few weeks. It's National Crochet Month, so we'll be looking at crochet themed books at the end. Have a good day.